And what's the moment that enables you to go from I'm acting it to I suddenly figured out that what I've got to do is be authentic? What's that moment? When you see yourself in the person you're talking to. That's the moment that you give yourself permission to to shed the persona. When you see yourself and the person that you're talking to, the adversarial relationship stops, the competitive relationship stops, the intention shifts. You know, it's, we talk a lot about the word love in our class because we love freaking our students out. Um, but also because it's probably the most important part of any sales process. And we'll, and we'll pair everyone up and we'll say, you have three minutes to fall in love with each other. You see them freak out. You know, they look at me like eyes wide open. And we're like, and we mean the word love. Like platonically, yes, but love. Like that, like, like the hardest thing that we're asking you to do, we are asking you to do that. Um, and we'll give you one hint. Focus on the type of questions that you would need answered to even have a shot at falling in love with this person. And at the end of the three minutes, you know, you, they all, they all look up and they're all vibing. Like the moment that they fell in love was the moment that they saw themselves in the people that they were talking to. And those questions that they were asking, like they were based on what they believed in, their morals, what they value. But we never asked them to do that. We asked them to fall in love and figure out what questions that needed to be answered in order to have a shot. And it was interesting because there's a fantastic endorsement in your book by Adam Grant. Um, this book presents a fascinating paradox. The harder you sell, the less convincing you often become. And there's something that I'm hearing in this narrative from both of you that to sell ideas or products or services really well, actually you need to forget about trying to sell it all. That is a magical paradox. We say it often, the best way to sell somebody something is to not try to sell them something. My name's Dr. Gary Crotez, and I'm a coach, podcaster, and award-winning author of The Idea Mindset, a book about how to figure out what you want and how to get it. The unlock moment is that flash of remarkable clarity when you suddenly know the right path ahead. When I'm in conversation with my coaching clients, these are the breakthroughs that are so profound that they remember vividly where they were, who they were with, what they were thinking when their unlock moment happened. In this podcast, I'll be meeting and learning about people who have accomplished great things or brought about significant change in their life. And you'll be meeting them with me. We'll be finding out what inspired them, how they got through the hard times and what they learned along the way that they can share with you. Thank you for joining me on this podcast to hear all about another Unlock Moment. Hello, dear listener, and welcome to another episode of the Unlock Moment podcast. Today, I'm delighted to bring you something a little different from normal. You'll know by now that I'm fascinated by the power of mindset, and I'd love to find out what makes peak performers tick. So when I was introduced to the two people joining me on the podcast today, I just had to have them come and record. Colin Coggins and Garrett Brown 
sought out some of the most successful people from all walks of life, CEOs, entrepreneurs, doctors, trial lawyers, professional athletes, military leaders, and countless others in the hope of understanding why they're so extraordinary. They found that as different as all these incredible people were, they all had an eerily similar approach to selling. It didn't matter if they were perceived as optimists or pessimists, logical or emotional, introverted or extroverted, jovial or stoic. They were all unsold on what it meant to sell and unsold on who people expected them to be. Colin and Garrett's book, The Unsold Mindset, just newly published, reveals a counterintuitive approach to not just selling, but life. This book is a journey towards an entirely new mindset, because the greatest sellers on the planet aren't successful because of what they do, they're successful because of what they think. Colin and Garrett are now professors at the University of Southern California's Marshall School of Business, and they teach a fantastically popular class, Sales Mindset for Entrepreneurs. They've both worked in a variety of emerging technology companies and were senior leaders in an identity management software-as-a-service company called Bitium, which was acquired in 2017 by a little company you might have heard of called Google. They've been on an incredible journey ever since. I'm looking forward to learning more about the unsold mindset and, of course, Colin and Garrett's own unlock moment of remarkable clarity on their journey to extraordinary career success. Colin Coggins and Garrett Brown, it is my great pleasure to welcome you to the Unlock Moment. Thank you. Well, that's, that's quite the journey you've been on over the, last, over the last few years, that's for sure. Now, we're going to come on and dig deep into the art and the magic of powerful selling, and I'm sure we'll do a lot of myth-busting too. But let's go back a bit first. What do I need to understand about your formative years that enables me to make sense of the mindset you both have today? Where does that come from for each of you? Let's start with Colin. Yeah, I just have to say that I'm really upset we did our own Audible, Garrett. Like after hearing him just do that, like I thought we did a good Audible recording, but you should have done everyone's Audible recording on the planet, including ours. I, I love that you said that because I, I felt the exact same way. I'm like, you know, the Audible experience was probably a highlight for us, but I might have given it up if we would have sounded as good as you just sounded on that intro. So thank you, Gary. Our words sound better out of your mouth. I'll, I'll tell you what happened when, when I recorded my audiobook. I sat in this little, tiny little audio recording studio, and I thought I was doing really well. And then they said, yeah, last week we had the people recording Lord of the Rings in that chair. I was <laughs> like, okay, fine. <laughs> now, well, now you know how we feel. How about that? When I graduated college, I had sort of a disdain for sales. I just didn't respect the profession. I did not go to college to be a salesperson. And I didn't get any other job offers soon enough for me to not have to move home with my parents. So I just took the first job offer I could get, which was a sales job. And I was really bad at it, partly because karma is interesting. And I just, you know, I, I never respected the sport enough to even try to be good at it. And then partly because I was just really bad at it. Like a shame to be a salesperson and also not like having the skill to perform well. Didn't sell anyone for two months. And on the third month, uh, 21 years old, this boss of mine said, we're going to put you on something called a PIP. And I said, well, what's a PIP? And he said, a performance improvement plan. And I go, oh, they're going to fire me. You know, so three months out of college... Third month about to get fired from a job that I didn't respect and hated anyways. The only thing I was good at was blame displacement. I did what I thought any 21-year-old would do when they're about to get fired. I was going to screw the establishment over on my way out. And so that's what I did. I 
stopped reading the scripts. I stopped abiding by the dress code. I started only asking questions I actually wanted to know the answers to. I only laughed at jokes that I thought were funny. I only asked people to buy if I actually thought that they would gain value from it, forget if they saw value in it. And on accident, I broke the sales record that month, like on accident. And I had figured it out. Like that was was this inflection point. I'll never forget the moment that they stopped looking at me like a salesperson and they started looking at me like a human being was the moment that I stopped acting like a salesperson and started acting like a human being. And then my entire career changed forever. But that was 21. And when you had that image of salesperson in your head, what did that look like? Describe that image. It is the same image that every one of our keynote audience members give us every time we ask this question. Because we ask two questions every keynote. The first question is, what do you think of when you hear the word salesperson? Yucky, smarmy, pushy, manipulative, aggressive. What I figured out in that inflection point, though, was for that unlocking moment, was the answer to the next question that everybody answered. Who do you think of when you think of the greatest salesperson on the planet, like alive or not? And the two most popular answers out of thousands of people that have answered that question is Martin Luther King Jr. and Steve Jobs. And like a close third is Jesus and a close fourth is like mom, dad, daughter, uh, son. So this incongruence between who people think a salesperson is and who they actually are was where the book was born from. But this unlocking moment that you're talking about, it was in that incongruence that something was unlocked three months out of college. What did you sell? What did you sell to break the sales record? Oh, man. So let's talk about karma for a second. This, I, had, I really despised salespeople. I thought that they were everything we just talked about. And my mom had a father who was a traveling salesperson, and she didn't like him either. Okay? So like, I really did not like salespeople. And I got thrown into a situation where people treated me like the scum of the earth salesperson like the scummiest on the planet. Now, the accurate description for what this is, is fractional vacation ownership. Oh, here we go. Here we go. (laughs) However, (laughs) earlier derivative of this was timeshare. And listen, now you understand why I showed up and I was like, I was bad and I was ashamed and it was yucky. And three months in, I was about to get fired the conversations changed when I didn't want the sale anymore. When I started like asking questions I actually wanted the answers to, and I was talking to like families that would say that the most important thing in their lives are to, are to spend quality time with their kids, like uninterrupted, and that they can remember their first vacation from 40 years ago, but they can't remember anything else from 40 years ago. Like they're in the moment, they're talking about this stuff. And then in the same breath, they go, I would never spend that money though, ever. Like, I'll never spend that much money on something I'll never touch or see again. It was in these moments when I was like, oh, now that I'm seeing as a human being, I'm seeing them as this actually, if they bought this, would be the only reason they would ever do what they actually want to do. And then we had a conversation and it was like a vibe, you know, like one of those conversations where like, I don't need anything from them because I don't think I'm going to get fired anyways. And them just being honest with me because they don't view me as a salesperson. And at some point, like I stopped being a coach and I started being a teammate. I didn't know any of this was happening at the time. But when you talk about like an unlocking moment, 
it all just all these con- the confluence of emotions happened at one at one month. Like it all it all just came true, and then all of these young accolades of you know whatever my title was supposed to be, and eventually this company was acquired by Wyndham, which was like a huge success. And then and then I went on in, into software and technology, and energy, and, and data analytics, and it's, it was such a fun ride. And it started in the in the depths of like the most stereotypical salesperson you could ever think of and realizing that the greatest salespeople on the planet are the opposite of who we think they are. That is a great story. And I think Garrett and I could sit here all day listening to how this, how this plays out. But, but I want to hear, yeah. I... It's actually pretty, pretty exciting to be, uh, to be able to get a front row seat to all of his great stories every day. So Garrett, tell me about, about you know, your upbringing and, and, and what those sort of foundational learnings were for you. Yeah, well, it's interesting. My unlock moment came in my mid-20s when I, I'd finally gotten out of years and years of school and I discovered that you're, you can read for fun. <laughs> and, uh, you know, they don't tell you that in, in high school and college when you, when you have to read things. And so I started to go on this personal development journey and I was, you know, go, reading amazing books and they were talking about things like purpose and and so uh, doing some kind of exercise and just going back to my childhood and thinking about the, the times that I lit up and the times that I was, I was most enthusiastic about what I was doing and the things I was most proud of. And it, was we, it wasn't the things that I expected it to be. Like I had this memory as a child of being with my friends and playing video games, but not wanting to be the one holding the controller, wanting to be the one next to them saying, oh, try this or you did that last time. And, and then I, I had other memories of like, I had just helped a friend get a, his first job. And I was like, so proud of that. And I realized that what lit me up was not necessarily being in the spotlight or doing anything for myself, but to, to teach other people and inspire other people and empower other people. And that was a big unlock moment for me because at that time in my life, I had just graduated from law school and was practicing law and was miserable counting every six minutes of my day. and and, you know, dealing with contentious people all the time. And it was sort of this inflection point for me, this, this unlock moment for me, because I realized that, that that was not the best way for me to be able to teach and inspire and empower other people. And so um, I left the, the law happily. And um, as many people find out, the easiest way to get a job in a startup, which is I was representing startups as a lawyer, and that just looked like a lot of fun. The easiest way to get a foot in the door is through a sales role. And so I ended up joining my first startup in a sales role and realizing that by selling, I actually got to learn about people and then educate them about something that is going to improve their lives in some way or contribute to their job or to their personal life. And that felt very much more aligned with with what I was doing. And I think as I look back, even now, just talking about it, everything from teaching a class to getting on stages with Colin and talking to audiences and teaching them all these lessons that we've learned, you know, that sort of set the foundation for, for me to, to live out what I think is my purpose to, to teach other people and lift them up as opposed to, you know, trying to find the spotlight for myself. It's a, it's a great story. And people that have listened to my recent episode with Dr. Ruth Gotian, who interviewed like world-leading people in, in, in their respective fields on, on peak performance. And she said, there's a difference between you're really good at it and you love it. And peak performers are really good at it and they love it. And she said, it's really, really common to see people 
law and medicine are quite classic examples where people are really good at it. They wouldn't be where they were if they weren't really good at it. But they often go, I just didn't love it enough. And that was for me, mere medicine and for you in law. So yeah. really, really interesting. And it's similar to something that we talk about, but I do want to be very clear. I was not good at being a lawyer. <laughs> I was terrible at it. <laughs> Self-awareness is a wonderful thing. <laughs> He's definitely got that. Um, also, self-deprecation is a wonderful thing. He's really good at that too. Um, we, we, have a, we have a very similar quote in our book. Um, I love that she just said that, that what, what you're good at and what you love are not always going to be the same thing. And the exercise of looking for the areas, you know, in what you're good at, that you do love, that you would do for free, and, and how you can intelligently and intentionally ignore the parts of your job that don't bring you joy, you know, that don't, that don't give you energy, that don't light you up, to use Garrett's appropriate words. I, I, love, I love that she said that. It makes a lot of sense to us. Bring us forward into the story where your paths crossed. Ah, I love this story because you can't see our ankles, but uh, he was wearing the loudest polka dot, polka dot socks you can imagine. And I had no socks on. I had no show socks on. Or at least that's what I wanted you to think. I actually didn't have any socks on because I don't like wearing socks. But um, Garrett was the CRO of Bidium. He tells it better than me. But, you know, he was the first non-technical employee. Um, and he did everything. And it was time to scale the, uh, the company. Um, and he needed to bring on someone that had done that before. Um, and he was looking for eight months. God, Gary, you say this story so much. I literally know the entire, all the details. And then when, he, uh, and then when we met, um, I had just gone through an acquisition um, from an entertainment company. And I thought I was at like the pinnacle of my career. Like I was working with my idols. Let's put it that way. And the, the recruiter called me and said, hey, like I know you think the entertainment industry is sexy. Do you want to know what's really sexy? And I said, what? And he said, software security. And we laugh. I show up to this office and I meet Garrett, who had been on the search for um, this role for like almost eight months. And it really was love at first sight. Because, like, you know, he was a CRO with this really weird background. You know what I mean? And I was like this seasoned tech leader at this point in my career with a really weird background. And we sat in this room. There's supposed to be like a 30 minute like meet and greet. And two hours later, we were agreeing on everything, but from completely different perspectives. You know, we were talking about that the greatest salespeople weren't the most gregarious, a la Garrett, right? Like they weren't the most, they weren't the most extroverted. They weren't the most uh, sociable, right? They, they all these self-confident. This is not who they were. We were talking about self-awareness. We were talking about the ability to be able to say something in real time and know that it doesn't land and course correct and how that has nothing to do with being, you know, a good mirror. You know, like we were talking about that the great salespeople like are the opposite of who people think they are. And the, the only reason why I'm even giving you more of a description of that conversation than is needed is because it's the same content that is in the class that we teach. It's the same content in the book that people are reading. It's the same content that like we consult on. Like that conversation that happened, you know, whatever, six, seven years ago. Um, and then I left the room and, and Garrett, you can fill in the blank. Yeah, that he left the room and I, I had talked to so many people that just were not right. And I, I remember walking out and seeing our, our chief marketing officer and she kind of looks up from her desk and she goes, well, how was it? And I just go, I fell in love. 
I mean, and, and I used those words and it's, it's funny now that we talk about love quite a bit in, in the context of, of looking for the good in our book. So, you know, we, re- we hit it off from that moment. And then I think really the unlock moment for us, um, for, for what we do now came, you know, three plus years later, we had, we were just about to sell the company to Google. It was all but a done deal. We were just waiting for the papers to come in. And I vividly remember, we both vividly remember walking down main street in Santa Monica outside of our office to go grab lunch. And, and we were talking and we're saying, you know, this, this part of our journey is coming to an end, but like we've learned so much and we've built this amazing sales culture and this amazing company doing things on the sales side that just are not typical. They're not traditional. How do we share this with more people? Like, how do we keep this going and make sure that it doesn't die when the company gets absorbed by, by Google? And, you know, Colin always has the answer to everything. And and I'm not saying that sarcastically, like he really, it's, if you, if you, if I have something that I can't quite crack, I ask him and he usually has an answer for me and he, and it didn't take him long. And he kind of looks at me and he goes, let's write a book. And we paused and we looked at each other and, and we realized, I think we both knew in that moment, like that's a great way to really scale something and to get something out into the world that a lot of people can then get their heads around and understand. And so from there, it just all took off and, and we, we, started, uh, we started talking about book concepts and, and we were also, as we looked at other ways to scale our message, we started jumping on any stage that would have us at conferences or in front of companies and, and, um, and in front of classrooms as guest lecturers. And, and so it all really started with that conversation, but that led to our class at USC, Sales Mindset for Entrepreneurs, which we are super proud of and we can definitely talk about that. Um, and it led to the the book deal, which which started as an idea and ended up, you know, with a, with an amazing deal with one of the biggest publishers in the world. And now our job essentially is to go and work with companies and and stand in front of audiences and talk about this stuff that we were just as passionate about back then, um, and have continued to learn about and build on ever since. And was it always called the unsolved mindset? <laughs> no, definitely not. It had about fifty seven names before that. Uh, you know, it was as we, we were talking to all these people and you mentioned in your beautiful introduction, we, weren't, we, we started out talking to salespeople because we thought we were just going to write a book about the mindset of great salespeople. But as we asked them that question that Colin mentioned, of who's the greatest salesperson that you know or that you can think of, that started leading us immediately out of the sales world and into all of these other uh, worlds, whether it was the military generals or artists or actors or anything else. And so, um, you know, in those conversations, we started to realize that all of these people sounded the same. They were saying the same thing in different ways, even though they didn't know each other. And we were like, we got it. We got to name this something cool. And we realized that all of them were unsold. They were unsold on who they were supposed to be, unsold on who the world expected them to be, unsold on how things were supposed to be done. And um, we just fell in love with that, that concept. And it's stuck. And it's, it's served us very well ever since. And when you say unsold, what do you mean? Sorry, I was just going to laugh because I remember uh, getting some, we really value feedback. I remember getting feedback from, I don't know if it was a publisher or PR person, someone, they were like, why would I ever read a book called Unsold? Like that was, a, remember that quote, Garrett? And like, I, we put it in, we put it somewhere special, you know, to really remember. If I tell you, this is how you're supposed to do something and you come back to me, go, I'm not buying that. I'm going to do it my way. That's, that's what we mean. They were just not, they were not sold on how things were supposed to be done and on who they were supposed to be. 
they, they weren't buying what society expected of them. This idea that, you know, you're who people expect you to be and who people hope you are, a lot of times are two different people. And, um, and these unique, special individuals who are at the top of their game because they can sell ideas and sell themselves and sell products and services better than anybody on the planet by being the opposite of who people are trying to be when they're in sales roles. These people, um, they, they look at the world and they see these expectations and these titles that are expected of them and they're just not buying it. Like Chef Roy Choi like, is not buying what a chef is supposed to be. And so he reinvented the food truck landscape. And now he's got like a movie after him that John Favreau's, you know, started. Snoop Dogg was unsold on like who a rapper was supposed to be. And now like his revenue streams are countless. And he's like at the, the center of like Web 3.0. And he's timeless. Jeff Aroff, right? The founder of Rock the Vote. Like these are people, when Garrett said it earlier, Garrett said, we went to sales professionals. Adobe, Google, like these, you know, like, like real, we went to sales professionals across different verticals and said, why are you good? Who do you think is the best? And they all pointed to people that weren't sales professionals. You know, it was, it was fascinating. They, they were all unsold on who they were supposed to be. And by the way, the word sales, most people that are listening probably don't identify what they do as sales. But if you were to break down the definition, right, and really compartmentalize and deconstruct it, everyone in the book, and everyone that is doing anything, you know, when it comes to changing the world or changing other people's lives, like they're moving people. Like they are selling. Uh, so they just redefine what selling means. And I think that, that's what unsold means. I really like to, a little phrase you use because I think a lot of people, when they think about selling, they think about selling things or maybe services. And then you said, and they're selling ideas. And that makes a lot more sense when you go, oh, now I understand. These people that are the best salespeople, often they've not got a product they're selling at all, but they are the most influential of people. And of course, if you sell an idea, you can sell a product. Did you meet people who did sell products and were amazing salespeople? They're the opposite of who you think they are. Like we met like an advertising technology uh, executive who was at the top of her game for the last 20 years and she hates technology. Self-admittedly, can't stand it. Uh, but she loves people. Like she loves solving problems. She loves being in relationships, can't stand tech. So we're like, so how is it that you're so successful? And she was like, I'm really good at saying I don't know. Like early on in my career, I tried to know all the answers. I could never know them all, right? I ended up looking like an imposter because I was. And at some point, I just started ignoring the parts of my job that I really I was forcing myself to show up inauthentically passionate and I wasn't. I said, I didn't know once. And I realized that these people, these customers in this segment, they were giving me more love and more credit for being resourceful enough to go out and find the answers, acknowledging that like my solutions and problems are unique to others. than if I would have a generic answer and just assume that I knew all the answers, you know, that like that was her entry point into Understanding that people will say no to you because you're right. Like that know-it-allism and belief superiority, like no one wants you to be the smartest person in the room. You know, they'll give you more credit for being a learner than being a knower. These are concepts from someone who is a sales professional and is doing the exact opposite of what most you know, sales professionals do. Do you think that what people are taught to do in sales it, that curriculum is devised by people that don't understand this thing you're describing, that the best salespeople explicitly don't do that. 
I don't know if that's a fair assessment. It, it, you, you know, it, it's possible that that's the case. But, you know, we try to stay away. There's a million places that you can go to learn how to sell. And the basics are important. But, you, you know, our book is not about building rapport and overcoming objections and asking for the close and all of these things that, that traditional sales training trains. And again, a lot of this stuff is really important. But, but the question I would ask is, if everybody has access to all of those trainings, they have access to the same books, they have access to the same podcasts, you know, why is it that in any given organization, 20% of people are thriving and the other 80% are trying to figure it out? And it's because they're consuming the information in a different way. And, and that's why we are so obsessed with mindset, because they're thinking about it in a different way. And I'll give you a great example. Like if you read a, some of these traditional sales training books, will talk a lot about mirroring. Right. Where if your customer crosses their legs, the, the great salespeople mirror the people that they're selling to. If, if the customer's crossing their legs, the salesperson's crossing their legs. Here's, so now we've got these generations of salespeople that are out there, like moving their arm and crossing their legs and thinking about how their customer is, is looking so that they can mirror them. The reason for this is because at some point a long time ago, somebody was watching a great salesperson in action realized that that salesperson was mirroring the other person and decided that that was the reason that they were having this connection. But in reality, if you look at the science, mirroring happens naturally as a result of a deep connection. So what was actually happening when they were watching that great salesperson is that that great salesperson, he or she was connecting with the customer in such a way that they just naturally were mirroring the person. They were not thinking about where their arms and legs were. But you know, again, somebody wrote that down. And after that, people are now thinking about this. So that's where the mindset comes in. It's not about the mindset of like, this is the tactic and I'm going to do mirror. This is, I'm going to build such a deep and authentic connection that whatever happens physically or otherwise, as a result of that, that's a byproduct. So that, we just, we get obsessed with mindset and, and that's a big reason why. So unpack that for me and Un unpack what is the mindset that makes you this amazing salesperson? I want to back up just one step to answer that appropriately. Sales IQ is definitely directly correlated to emotional intelligence. And we don't talk a lot about that because it's an overused buzzword. But the pillars of emotional intelligence are, are very important. And what Garrett's talking about, like this example of, of the mirroring example, is that great sellers aren't great because of the tactic of mirroring. Like they're great because they do something, feel something, care differently enough to be engaged, like that engaged. And so, you know, unpacking that is, is sort of the book, right? These characteristics. But, but really, like if you boil it down, there is a subset of society that is very comfortable giving themselves permission to show a piece of them themselves, that most of us are intentionally and adamantly trying to hide from others. You know, like most people, when they get into a selling situation, especially if they hate the word sales, you know, when that shame sets in, they just try to put on the persona of who they think a great salesperson is supposed to look like, a la the opposite of who actually a great salesperson is. Because they don't think that their imperfect, flawed, you know, authentic self is worthy. But but there are some people that know everyone is imperfect and flawed and has this authentic self 
and who people expect you to be is one thing, professional and courteous and well-mannered, but who they hope you are is like them, right? People like people like them. So, so people, some people have figured out, like, let me just make sure that they know we are, you are my people, right? And what's the easiest way to do that? Just to show you I like you. So I have no problem like showing a piece of me. Like this hyper-authenticity in this book, like we have never seen anything like, we were watching people talk to themselves out loud in front of other people. Like that's how comfortable they were. You know, you're, we're, we're like looking at a, 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 a sales leader and you know he's a great sales leader because he's like, you can tell by his resume. And he gets on and he's like, hey, like my name is Jason and I'm, and he says, you know, I'm an SVP of, and he stops, whatever his title is, right? Like I'm a sales manager and he stops mid-sentence and he backs up and he looks at the ceiling. He goes, why do I keep doing this? Looks back at us and goes, can I start again? Gary and I, up to that point, had never even been in a conversation where we, all we found was good in someone. <laughs> so we were back. We were like, why were we looking for the good in this guy for so long? Like, that's not our jobs. And we knew it was because we knew he was such a good salesperson. And we identified this like micro moment of connection. There's these three seconds. We were like, there's no way he's selling us there, like in that moment. And he just never took us back down. And, and I'm telling this story because... You know, when you, when you ask a hard question, like, hey, like, what is it that, that makes them great? The best example of permission to be authentic and why these people are who they are, we saw it during lockdown. During lockdown and COVID, we saw a group of salespeople across multiple verticals that historically were underperforming and they were doing really well, like weirdly well during lockdown. And so we started looking at the tape to figure out why. And they were doing well because of lockdown. Like every, every conversation that they entered sounded very similar to one another. And they were like, hey, like, thanks for showing up. This is really weird. I'm just acknowledging the elephant in the room. That's my two-year-old behind me. That's my wife with a mask on running behind, trying to put a mask on a two-year-old that's not wearing a mask. That's the laundry room. That's school for now. <laughs> like, anyways, this is weird. I want to call it out. And these people on the other end of the Zoom, they like, they take these real visceral, like deep breaths, like, oh, thank God you said that. This shit is so weird. This is my first pandemic too. You know, like you would catch them. Like you've never seen a customer and a, a prospect and a salesperson catch a vibe in 10 seconds. But it was because the customer or the salesperson knew beyond a shadow of a doubt, that person on the other end of the Zoom was living a shared experience. They knew without a shadow of a doubt, they were living in an imperfect situation that they were probably just like them, at least during lockdown. And they were right. And these great salespeople just know that without lockdown. They just know that they're talking to their people, even if like, they're not supposed to like, acknowledge it. I knew this was going to be a great conversation. And not only because we've all written a book with mindset in the title, but the word authenticity. So, so the idea mindset my book is idea stands for identity direction engagement authenticity and it's about knowing who you are where you're going for a future that you love what you're doing every day and that is connecting with your values and sense of purpose and that when i describe that to people they find it a bit complicated to get their head around and then they go what does it feel like when you're there which is what you just described and I describe, I say to people, it feels like overwhelming clarity of thought, of decision, of action, 
And that's what you see in these people that, that I work with. It's what you're describing in this role. It's what Dr. Ruth Gautian was talking about with her peak performers. They are unapologetic about who they are and what they're doing because they are completely clear that when they do what they do, it's because that's exactly what they're meant to do. And they're not looking for permission and they're not looking for recognition. They're not looking for approval. They're just there in their space doing the thing that they that they do. And I think that, you know, when you were talking before and now you've you've brought it into conversation specifically is authenticity. That's the word that that is really, really visceral and vibrant in this for me, that these people you're describing are just being authentic, but massively authentic. That is that's exactly it. And if if there's one umbrella word for all of the different elements of the unsold mindset it is authenticity because each each chapter is is a different element of the mindset and it all goes back to setting up the infrastructure to give yourself permission to be authentic and so you know a lot of people will will hear this and they'll go oh yeah i can act authentic and we go no you have to be authentic yeah i get it i'm gonna act authentic by definition, you cannot act authentic. You have to give, set up the infrastructure and give yourself permission to be authentic. And so that's, uh, we're glad to hear you say that. That's why we were smiling, uh, because, because we feel the same way. And what's the moment that enables you to go from, I'm acting it, to I suddenly figured out that what I've got to do is be authentic? What's that moment? When you see yourself in the person you're talking to, that's the moment that you give yourself permission to, to shed the persona. When you see yourself in the person that you're talking to, the adversarial relationship stops, the competitive relationship stops, the intention shifts. You know, it's, we talk a lot about the word love in our class because we love freaking our students out. Um, but also because it's probably the most important part of any sales process. Like, like, I don't care what you call it, you move differently when you're enamored with the people that you're talking to. We all know what it feels like to be in a conversation with someone that like is looking for the good in you. And like a lot of, in any sale, I don't care, you know, your teacher, investments, you know, uh, customers, like you're, you want people to believe in you and in, in your product and what you're saying. If you want that, you have to also believe in the people you're asking of that. And so we have noticed that, that we have this exercise and we'll say you know, to our students, like, look, we're going to pair you up. And we always do this intentionally. We'll do like the, the senior you know, D lineman for USC's football team is about to go in the league and like the, the sophomore data scientist, you know, and and we'll, and we'll pair everyone up and we'll say, you have three minutes to fall in love with each other. You see them freak out. You know, they look at me like eyes wide open. And we're like, and we mean the word love. Like platonically, yes, but love. Like, that, like, like the hardest thing that we're asking you to do, we are asking you to do that. Um, and we'll give you one hint. Focus on the type of questions that you would need answered to even have a shot at falling in love with this person. You know, fall in love, with, we're trying to get them to, to understand that you, know, you're, you can fall in love with the idea of who someone is. And at the end of the three minutes, you know, you, they, all, they all look up 
and they're all vibing and they're all like, yeah, the moment that I fell in love with him was when he told me that yeah, he made a really hard decision to uh, transfer from community college to USC. And oh my God, like I didn't transfer from community college, but I did transfer like mid semester and went through the same pain he did. Or, you know, I just love that his mom, you know, is like was really strict on him and comes from, you know, uh, a country that doesn't have the same, you know, rules when it comes to education and freedom the way that the U.S. does. Like, I have something really similar, like not from Europe, but from the Caribbean. Like, you see it. Like, the moment that they fell in love was the moment that they saw themselves in the people that they were talking to. And those questions that they were asking like they were based on what they believed in, their morals, what they valued. But we never asked them to do that. We asked them to fall in love and figure out what questions that needed to be answered in order to have a shot. They asked questions that were important based on what they cared about. You know, so that, that's, the, that's the moment. I think if we had to, but Garrett, maybe you have a different answer, but as we boil it down, that feels like the moment for me. I thought I had a different answer, but that was a good one. So I'm just going to let that one sit. I think that's, that's about as good as it gets. Those who've listened to this podcast for a long time will know about my obsession with words, which I often pick up on. And, and I wrote a word very early in that conversation, which was really strong, that was ashamed. I was ashamed to be a salesperson, you said right at the start. And then you said, I became the... I broke the record for sales when, effectively when you stopped trying to sell. And it was interesting because there's a fantastic endorsement in your book by Adam Grant. Um, this book presents a fascinating paradox. The harder you sell, the less convincing you often become. And there's something that I'm hearing in this narrative from both of you that to sell ideas or products or services really well, actually you need to forget about trying to sell at all. That is a magical paradox. We say it often, the best way to sell somebody something is to not try to sell them something. And uh, we, we share your obsession with words. And that's a, it's another thing that all of these people do. You know, they reframe things. And, and a lot of these people don't like to call what they do selling. And, and we get it because the stereotype runs deep. And they'll call it, they'll say, you know, I, I don't sell, but I teach. I don't sell, but I solve problems. We've heard so many different words that mean selling. And, then, and eventually, you know, you talk to us long enough, you'll realize that whether you're, whether you're actually selling a product or whether you're selling your kid on trying to eat their broccoli or your spouse on what to have for dinner, they, you know, you'll realize that what you're doing is, is selling, but they do change those words. People do change those words. And, and, you know, that's okay, but at some point you got to know what it is. And, and our, our goal is to change that stigma and hopefully get everybody to realize that, that selling is a great thing when it's done authentically and, and the right way by people with the right intentions. Optimism is another word that is like a bridge between what you two are talking about. It's a very dirty word. You know, it's why we had to open up the conversation talking about toxic positivity first. But if you find like a great seller, they normally are pathologically optimistic enough to assume you're already a customer, or at least they treat you like you already are. And you know what a conversation sounds like when someone doesn't need something from you. And that's what all of their conversations sound like. Like they don't have a coach relationship. They have a same team relationship. 
and they say things to these people and show them parts of the process and of themselves that most people don't. But it's because they're not scared of losing something. So I just wanted to tie that together because, yeah, you know, like you have to, you, you, by selling to not sell, yeah, maybe, right? Like we, we say it because it makes sense, but it's more about the mindset of I, I, I don't have to sell. Like I need to create the agency in these people so that they feel like they are actually doing what they are doing, which is buying. A lot of times salespeople strip people of agency. And that, and that unfortunately is why 80% of salespeople are trying to figure out. Like they're, like they're so good at telling you why you should buy. And everyone says no to them because they're right. Like they have the right answers. That's not why they're getting said no to. They're getting said no to because no one feels like they're part of the decision-making process. They've overcome every objection. They've put you into a corner. You already committed. You didn't even realize you were. And like now it's like, you got to buy. Like, no, I got this gut feeling. I don't know why. It's, it's because you're right. You know? So it's, it's all a big conversation, but I just wanted to throw an optimism in there because I thought that was a key word to pick up on as listening to you guys. I love it. Most people who listen to this podcast probably are not in sales roles but you say in your book we all sell every day so just in terms of what people should take away from this if they are not people who feel like they sell something but what do they take away from the unsold mindset well hopefully by now they've already they've already realized that they're they're selling every day colin said it best earlier you, you can't do anything important without being able to move people Big, small, it, it doesn't really matter. And, that, and that's selling, right? Getting, inspiring people, getting them to, to jump on board with an idea or, or selling products and services. You know, Steve Jobs, is, as, as we mentioned, is, was the top, is usually the, one of the top uh, answers on who the greatest seller ever is. And he's just known for selling products and, and he's revered for that. And, you know, granted, he had his, his downsides as well. But I, I think overall history looks at Steve Jobs as, as one of the most successful sellers of all time. He, he changed the world and nobody can really change the world without being able to sell. So that's, I think that's what we would say is that, you know, if, if you want to do anything important, you have to be able to move people and moving people is selling. Last question. When you think about each other, what's the thing that each of you do that makes you really good at selling? about each other that's easy you want me to go first to buy you some time to think about something nice to say about me <laughs> um it's it, colin is i always tell people that if colin had decided to be a therapist he would be the greatest he would be a freud level therapist like he is so brilliant at understanding what people are thinking and what they really mean um, and I think that's just because he's a deep empath. Like he, he, he understands whether he knows it or not, or would call it this. He just understands human emotion, human psychology, human behavior in like an intuitive way. And that it enables him to connect with people in a way that I've rarely seen in my life. Like, how can you not be drawn to Colin? Um, and you know that he is a good person and has your best interests in mind. And there's, you know, what you see is what you get. And authenticity is not something he just talks about, like he lives it. So I think all of those things combined make him a super seller um, in the best, best, best sense of the word. And tape. <laughs> <laughs> 
I'm glad this isn't on video because I'm not really sure how how my face looked hearing my. It's not like we are best friends in real life. People ask us that often, you know, and so I think Garrett's comfortable saying really kind things about me like that because he's also very comfortable saying really mean things. To me. Yeah, we we just wrote we just wrote a whole article about why best friends can actually work together. You know, like the first the first paragraph talks about because you're already used to arguing. You know, so I as I could. I could say the kindest of things about Garrett, um, which I tell him to his face. For the audience and for maybe a takeaway, I would say, I've always said that if I were to you know, have an unlimited budget and create a company, my first hire would be a chief devil's advocate officer. Like to ensure that everything that I say, someone just says, you sure? Or no, right? Or force a debate or force me to have perspective forced me to be a learner. Um, Garrett has made me, continues to make me a way better, well-rounded individual because only him and my wife can bring me down to a level where humility um, would be a goal, right? Like they just like destroy me to the point where I really have to think about, well, what's the, like if I'm distilling this concept down to like what's most important, and then that concept is really beautiful. And it was nothing like what I thought it was when it got to Garrett. So, you know, that's just one example of why Garrett's so good, because he, he can take any concept and question it and create the agency and the people that are, that are, that are trying to have an opinion, uh, you know, take ownership of a new idea that I don't know if he actually thought was his own or not, you know, but either way, people are saying yes to him a lot. I can hear from this why the two of you are such a powerful team. It comes across so strongly. And I'm off to order a t-shirt with the words pathologically optimistic on it. So that's fantastic. It's a great place to land in our conversation. The unlock moment is that flash of remarkable clarity when you suddenly know the right path ahead. For sales specialists, entrepreneurs, and authors, Colin Coggins and Garrett Brown, it was when they figured out there isn't one right way to succeed in life or in sales. It's a philosophy we very much agree on. Go to Amazon or your favorite bookstore and order a copy of The Unsold Mindset, redefining what it means to sell. Available in physical, ebook, and audiobook formats. Colin and Garrett, it has been such a pleasure. Thank you so much for joining me today on The Unlock Moment. This has been The Unlock Moment, a podcast with me, Dr. Gary Crotez. Thank you for listening in. You can find out more about how to figure out what you want and how to get it in my book, The Idea Mindset. Find me on Instagram at Dr. Gary Crotez and subscribe to this podcast to get notified about future episodes. Most listeners to this podcast on Apple and Spotify haven't yet hit the follow button. If there's one thing you can do right now to help me out, then please click the follow button. The more followers I have, the better guests I can attract for you to learn from. Thanks again for listening and join me again soon here on The Unlock Moment.